So now will be a good time to reopen your Bible if you've closed it to Psalm 113. And as a reminder, that's page 94 in the Church Bibles. But before we come to that psalm, I would like to do a quick survey, if that's okay. Just something that's been on my mind during the week. Uh, A survey of your favourite brand of baked beans. Can we just do that as a quick survey? Um, I'll give you some options. So, what is your favourite brand of baked beans? Is it Heinz, the classic? Or is it Branston, Branston beans? Or is it Sainsbury's beans? Or is it HB beans? Or is it Heinz no added sugar beans? Lots of shaking of heads. You like your added sugar, don't you? Um, is it Stanford Street Company beans? Is it Sainsbury's so organic with beans grown on rich organically cultivated land? Is it Heinz organic, high in protein? I sense that some of you may be feeling a bit overwhelmed by the number of options of beans. You did? Well, um, we'll do a taste test later. Um, did I mention there's food at the afternoon service? Um, it's, uh, and I'll leave you to imagine the look on the cashier's face at Sainsbury's yesterday. But we've probably all had those kind of moments where you, you go to the baked bean aisle in the supermarket and you look at the number of options. And this is before you get to the ones that have the little sausages in as well. Um, and you think, why do we have so many types of baked beans? Aren't they all basically the same? Like, they're, they're basically all just the same. Um, how, how do you choose? They're all pretty much the same. And that question that you may ask about baked beans when you look at the baked beans, all eight varieties and more in the supermarket, that's a question that some people ask about a more serious subject. It's a question that some people ask about religion. Looking at all of the gods and religions that are on offer in the world, to look at all of them and say, well, aren't they basically all pretty much the same? At heart, some differences, but aren't they all basically pretty much the same? And for us here in Wales, we're aware, probably at the last census, that there was a rise in the number of people who are non-religious, who don't identify with any religious belief at all. People who would walk past the God Isle in the supermarket. But for most of those, they would say, if you want to go down and grab a God off the shelf, then feel free to do so. It doesn't really matter which one, whichever one makes you happy, that's fine. They're all basically the same. Is that how we should understand what we're doing here this morning? We're just worshipping one tin among many other tins that are on offer. One God among many. This is just one option. It's the one that happens to make us happy, or at least not as sad as the other options. And so this is what we go with this morning. Just one more God on the shelf, one more tin we could choose from. Is that how we should understand what we're doing together this morning as we join together in worship? Psalm 113 says no. That verse at the heart of it, verse 5, who is like the Lord our God? It's a question that doesn't wait for an answer because the answer is no one. 
Who is like the Lord our God? And today I want us to spend some time reflecting again on the uniqueness of our God, our unique, matchless, incomparable God, the God of the Bible that we worship today. I'm going to think about some of the reasons why he uniquely deserves our praise as we join together today. And if you're joining the service and you're not a Christian, and it could be that you've been looking at a few of the different tins on the shelf and wondering what the difference is between different worldviews and philosophies and what you should investigate. If that is you, then I hope that you'll see today that the God of the Bible, the God that we're worshiping here today is not just one more tin on the shelf, one more God among many that we could choose from, that this is the one true God who is unlike any other. And if you are a Christian, I'm hoping that you'll see more of why that's such wonderful good news. And that as we remember that wonderful good news, that we'd be encouraged even more to speak of this one true God who is unlike any other, who is like the Lord our God. That's where we're going to be going today. As we look at Psalm 113, which is a praise psalm you probably picked that up from the first word it's a a psalm of praise and in fact the psalms we're looking at over the coming weeks lord willing psalm 113 14 15 16 17 and 118 these are a group of psalms sometimes called the halal psalms you know the word hallelujah praise the lord these are the halal praise psalms that will be sung at celebrations like the passover and others And Psalm 113, at the start of these Hallel praise psalms, that this is a psalm that is very much filled with praise, isn't it? As we see these words. And in fact, I will just read the first three verses again. And as I read, every time you hear me say the word praise, I want you to immediately shout out hallelujah. Okay, can you do that? Nothing could possibly go wrong. 113, the first three verses. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. A lot of praise, isn't it? And all of that praise is all for the same person. There's another word that came up a lot. Lord. It's not praising one person, then another, then another. It's all for the Lord. And it's not just for a few things that the Lord has done. It's verse one, we praise the name of the Lord. It's just, we praise him for who he is, for everything he is. And it's not just for a short time. Verse two, from this time forth and forevermore, he's worthy of our praise. And not just in one corner of the globe, verse three, from the rising of the sun to its setting, from Bridgend to Brisbane, he is worthy of praise. Why? Verse 5. Who is like the Lord our God? He's uniquely worthy of praise now and forever across this world because there is no one like him. He is the incomparable, unique, matchless God. That's the God we worship today. And as we look at the second half of the psalm, we get a a three-part picture of this incomparable God that I want us to see. Verse four down to verse nine, a three-part picture of this incomparable God that begins, 
with us remembering that there is no one as high as this God. There is no one as exalted as this God. Verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. He's seated on high. He looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He's so high and so exalted that he has to use like a cosmic telescope even to see the heavens. That's how high he is above it all. We read earlier from Isaiah 40 that the nations, even the biggest, most powerful nations, they're like a drop in a bucket. They're like just a bit of dust on the scales that doesn't register. All of the combined forces of Russia drop in the bucket. The 1.5 billion people in China, it's a lot of people, drop in the bucket because God is so high above it all. The tallest mountains are just like a little bump. He's so high above it all because everything is under him. Everything was made by him. He's over it all. It's all under his authority. Every star. And there are a lot of those. Every single one. Every planet. Every nation. Every angelic being. Every human being. You and me. He's far above us all. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? On Wednesday, when we have our prayer meeting bible study here in the building 7 30 until 9 we're looking at acts chapter 17 and in acts chapter 17 the apostle paul visits athens and while he's in athens he walks around the city as most of us would do if we went to athens but what he notices as he walks around the city he notices religious idols he notices different statues and altars and inscriptions to different gods Lots of different gods, loads and loads of different gods. And he notices one altar that says to an unknown god. Because when you're trying to worship all the gods and keep them all happy, you don't want to miss any out. That would be a bit awkward, wouldn't it? So they want to make sure they've got all their bases covered. They say to an unknown god. And Paul says to them, that god that you admit you don't know, well, let me tell you about him. But as he tells the Athenians about this God, he doesn't present this God as just one more God to add on the list, just one more altar to add to their list of altars, one more idol to add to their list of idols, one more tin on the shelf. No, here's what he says in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it. It's quite comprehensive, isn't it? The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything. He's far above it all. And he alone is the one who can claim those things about himself. He alone is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. There's no one as high and exalted as our God. Praise the Lord. But there's more. I said there'd be three parts of this picture. That's 
for this psalm, kind of just the introduction to the other two points. It's not just that he is so high, but it's also that this God stoops so low. We praise God not just because he is so high, but that he stoops so low. That this God, who is high above all the nations, his glory above the heavens, has to look far down to see even the heavens, let alone the earth. He doesn't forget about us. Even though he is so high, so far above us, that we can't even comprehend it. He doesn't hide away in some kind of cosmic tower. But he remembers us. He notices us. He pays attention to us. He looks far down on the heavens and the earth so he can pay attention to people on the earth. And who are the people that he pays attention to in verse 7? It's the poor who have very little to their name. It's the needy who are scavenging in the rubbish dump. That's what the ash heap is. In verse 9, it's the barren woman grieving her childlessness. This God who's far above all the nations stoops low to pay attention to these needs. Not so long ago, the Thomas family went on a trip to the world's greatest museum, St Faggins. And I don't know why you're laughing, it's a great museum, isn't it? Yeah. And when you go to St Faggins, as well as all of the buildings that they've got there, and they've got a new one that'll be opening soon, but as well as all these buildings, you've got the indoor exhibition spaces. So you've got an exhibition about Welsh life. And then you've got an exhibition uh, that's also about, they're all about Welsh life. Anyway, um, I don't know if you're like me when you go to a museum, but when I go to a museum, when I go in, my eye is immediately drawn to the big, exciting, colourful stuff, right? Don't give me baskets and pans and cutlery. No, I want the dressing up area, the tractor, the four-poster bed, the VW camper van. That's where my eye goes. Are you anything like that? Um, and even if you're not like that in a museum, that, that's kind of like how we often are as humans, isn't it? We, we immediately look at the thing that's most attractive, that looks most important, and sadly that can affect the way that we treat each other as humans as well. We focus on the most important, the most attractive looking things, whether it's at Faggins or just in life. But the Lord our God is not like us. As he looks far down on the heavens and the earth, he doesn't just notice the bright, colourful, attractive stuff. He looks down into the ash heap, into the dust. He doesn't just pay attention to the really important, influential, powerful people but the poor and the needy. Even though he's high above all the nations. And as Jesus sang these words at that last supper at Passover, as he sang these words with his disciples, where their minds would obviously have gone back to the first Passover of when Israel was rescued out of Egypt. And they think about the words that God had spoken to Moses at the burning bush. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. 
I know their sufferings and I have come down. He looks down, he sees them in the dust and ashes of slavery and he comes to them. And as Jesus and his disciples sang those words at Passover, Jesus knew that he had come down to give Psalm 113 an even deeper meaning. I think of the words that the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The one who is himself God, God the Son, the eternal Son, high above all nations, everything was made through him and for him. Yet he came down, down into the dust, down into the darkness of this world, down to the despair that we experience. He came down, he came down to show solidarity with us in our birth and our life and even in death. If you ever wonder if there's a God who cares about you, look to Jesus, who came down. And why did he come down? Well, that's the third part of our picture, this God who is so high, yet stoops so low. And why does he stoop so low? Well, he stoops so low to raise us up. He comes down to lift us up. He doesn't just come to look. He doesn't just come to listen. He comes to act. He comes to transform. He comes to rescue. We're all aware that at some point in the next year there will probably be a general election. That's exciting, isn't it? None of you look excited. There's going to be a general election, which means over the next year, there are going to be lots of senior politicians looking for good photo opportunities. And do you know what gives the best photo opportunities? Visiting people in need. That's a good photo opportunity, isn't it? And as these politicians go about their visits, I, those visits, as well as having political value, they do have genuine value for the people they, they meet. Uh, there's value in them listening and offering sympathy. There's value in the practical help that they will offer and they give them a handshake. But then, once they've given the handshake and left, the people are still in need, aren't they? So Rishi Sunak will go to a flood hit area and he'll listen and he'll show sympathy and he'll move some sandbags and he'll shake their hand and leave and the area will still be flooded. And Keir Starmer will go to a hospital and he'll listen to the different patients who are in really serious pain and he'll show sympathy and he'll make them cups of tea and he'll shake their hands and then he'll leave and they'll still all be sick. <coughs> and Mark Drakeford will go to a food bank and he'll listen to people there in the food bank, he'll show some sympathy, he'll help them to choose between the beans on offer. And then he'll give them a handshake 
and he'll leave and people will still be hungry. But when God reaches out his hand, he is able to lift people up like no one else beyond what they could imagine. And as Jesus and his disciples sang these words, again, they would have looked back at Israel's history of examples in Israel's history where God had come down to lift his people up as a nation and as individuals. Looking back to when God had come down to his people in slavery in Egypt, oppressed under that harsh slavery of Pharaoh, how they were brought out with a mighty hand, led through the wilderness into that land that he had promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey, where they were no longer slaves of Pharaoh, but as in verse 1, servants of the Lord, reaching down to the dust of slavery to lift them up. And as Jesus and his disciples sang these words, they would think back to individuals in the past as well, individuals like Hannah, who we meet in 1 Samuel. And in fact, if you read 1 Samuel later, you just have to read the first two chapters, you'll recognise some of the words of Psalm 113 in words that Hannah says. This woman who was childless, and that was a source of great pain for several reasons. She prayed. And what did the Lord do? Well, he gave the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. And he blessed her with Samuel, who went on to become a fairly significant person in the history of God's people. Reaching down to lift people up. And those are just some examples of how God had acted. He'd acted in different ways at different points, not always in the same way. Those were just some examples pointing forward to something greater that God would do. And as Jesus sang these words with his disciples, he knew what lay ahead of him. He had come to lift us up from an even deeper poverty. To lift us up to the highest place we could have. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Coming down to us when we were spiritually bankrupt because of our sin, because of our disobedience against the God who made us. People of dust, heading to death, separation from God. Yet Jesus came into this world and went through death for us. And rose again from the dead so he could lift us up. Lift us up into new life. New life in God's family. Eternal life. Not because of anything that we have done. We're the poor and needy who have nothing to offer. All because of his grace. So much religion in this world works on the basis of God helps those who help themselves. We know that saying, don't we? God helps those who help themselves. It's not like that with the God of the Bible. God helps those who cannot help themselves, who are poor and needy and desperate, and yet God reaches down to lift us up. 
and where Psalm 113 says, lifts them up to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people, or one day we will sit down at a feast with Jesus himself in the presence of God. And there, in the presence of God, we'll have a whole eternity of life with no more of the poverty and pain and suffering, the dust and ashes of this world, no more sin, no more death, just life forever. The presence of God who stooped down to lift us up. Praise the Lord. And as I've been reflecting on this psalm through the week, I've obviously been thinking quite a bit about Wednesday, which will be a hard day for us as a church, won't it? To remember Maureen, 45 years she's been here. And sometime after two o'clock in Bridge End Cemetery, her body will be lowered into the ground. And I'll say the words, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's a difficult moment. But I can say those words with hope. Mm. A hope that only our God mm. can give us. Mm. Hope that begins with the knowledge that God has already lifted more in spirit. <laughs> into glory, but the hope that one day he will raise her body from the dust, from the ashes, just as Jesus rose, so he will raise Maureen and Marion and Headley, and the list goes on, and all of his people will be raised with new glorified bodies, no more crutches, no more cancer, no more death, just life with God forever. Praise the Lord, <laughs> who lifts the needy from the ash heap. And no one else, no one else can give us that hope in the face of death. Nothing else can give us that hope in the face of death. And no one else can give us the same care through our life either. Nothing else can. No other God, no other religion, no other philosophy, no other person, no psychic or politician or friend, no one. Because there is no one who is like the Lord our God. The God we worship today is not just one more tin on the shelf of gods that you can choose from. It doesn't really matter which, whatever makes you happy. No, this is the one true God who's far above everything else. Um, my hope, if you don't know him already, is that you will come to know him. You'll come to know his care through your life, that hope in the face of death, that eternal glory in his presence, of what it means to praise him now and forever. Soon here at Litcher Mission, we're going to be hopefully running a course to explore the claims of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and why and what that means for us. And if you don't yet know God as your God, I'd love you to join us for that course to come and ask all of your questions and find the answers that you need. I'd love to chat to you afterwards about that or send us a message on YouTube. And for most of us, we're here today because we do know this God. That's why we want to worship and praise him. And we need to just keep celebrating the uniqueness of this God, his matchless, incomparable glory. It's only 78 steeps until Christmas now. 
and we are actually having a Christmas theme to our refreshments this afternoon, I believe. So that's, there, are, there will be mince pies if you come at four o'clock. And as we head, head to Christmas, the reason I mention it is not just to remind you this afternoon and to advertise mince pies, but because at Christmas time, we're gonna have lots of events, lots of activities, lots of opportunities for people to hear about Jesus, lots of work that we're gonna be doing as a church. And as we go about that work, we need to remember that the people around us who aren't joining us for church today, it's not just that they're missing out on a social activity, missing out on a tea and a biscuit and a chat. They're not just missing out on some life tips that might make them feel better. They're missing out on knowing the one true God who's unlike anything else or anyone else. The one true God who's so high and yet stooped so low to lift us up. We need to keep remembering that, that we would be excited about talking with people about this one true God that we know who is unlike anyone and anything else. And as we praise him, we should pray that we would be led to speak more of him and what he means for us. I mentioned the general election earlier. Over the next year, most of us will probably end up in a lot of political conversations, whether we like it or not, mm -hmm. that people around us, family members, friends, neighbours, people we walk, uh, meet when we walk the dog, uh, people at work, uh, whatever, that people talk to us about politics. And a lot of political conversations, they're basically, aren't they, about how much politicians care, how much politicians care about me and my needs, and also the needs of other groups in society, like uh, refugees, disabled people, victims of crime, whatever. And it's good for us as Christians to be part of those conversations because we, we should be like our God. We should care about different groups in society as well, including those who can't speak for themselves very much. But as we have these conversations, we have an opportunity to speak into the disillusionment and the apathy and the despair and the frustration that so often comes out in political conversations, that we have an opportunity to speak words of hope. That we can say to people that, you know, what gives me hope when I get frustrated about politics, what gives me hope is that I know God. And I know this God cares about me like no one else can, certainly like no politician can, but like no one else can either. And he cares for every person in this country. And he lifts us up in a way that no one else and nothing else can. And those who look to him, he lifts us up even to eternal life as the one true God who alone could bring a permanent end to pain, poverty, suffering, sin, war, death. But we have an opportunity to speak to people about the God who is unlike anyone and anything else, who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. 
Praise the Lord. Let me pray for us.